Alright, turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, please. Chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter this morning. By the grace of God. Okay, we'll be Alright, chapter 1, 2 Peter. We are going to be looking at verses 19 to 21 in particular. But we are going to read verses 12 to 21 so we get the whole context because this is actually part 2 of a larger sermon. So last week was the first part. This is the second part. So let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word. A light in a dark place. Hear God's word to you this morning. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And now here's our text for this morning. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our lives and, and our hearts this morning. You may be seated. Now it should speak volumes to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, that of all the things, think about this, all the things the Apostle Peter could have passed on to us, as his last formal message to the church before reuniting with his Lord and Savior, his risen Lord and Savior, face to face. Think about this. He doesn't give us any addendum or addition to the gospel message, but instead, what does he do with his time? He tells us to remember the apostolic testimony. Remember the teaching and the writing of the apostles. And then what else? He tells us to pay attention to the Old Testament prophets. And in those days, by the way, in that time that Peter wrote, when he talks about the prophecies of Scripture, he's not just talking about what we talk about, the prophetic books. He's talking about the entire Old Testament. That's the prophets in this passage. Now, why does he do this? Because he knew, as we know, men would come up after him, after the Lord took him home, who would try to dismiss the apostolic witness found in the New Testament scriptures. They would call them made-up stories and myths. They'd scoff at the Old Testament prophets 
they would call them men who simply forwarded their own opinions and their own interpretations. How many times have we heard people, when you share the gospel, say, oh, well, that's your interpretation? Right? As a matter of fact, even believers who are established in the truth of the gospel, and that's most of us here, you and I, we're tempted to view the Old Testament at times as second-class scripture. I mean, think about it. New Testaments. You know when people, they print just the New Testament? Oh, here, here's the New Testament. Here's a pocket New Testament. Every now and then, we really get the bonus. We get the Psalms. You know, New Testament and Psalms. We kind of think of the Old Testament as not quite equal to the big league New Testament scriptures. And the world, here's the issue. The world constantly tries to squeeze us into its mold of viewing the teaching of the apostles as outdated and even bigoted backward thinking. I can't tell you how people say you need to get with the times because I'm sharing what the apostles taught that they heard from Jesus himself, by the way. The big, big issue that Peter addresses in, in this epistle is the shade that the false teachers and worldly leaders are throwing on the promised return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To judge the living and the dead. That's what really sticks in their craw. It's particularly repugnant to modernists and postmodernists, by the way, who are actually neither. And I'll tell you why they're not really modernists or postmodernists. Because this is as ancient of a heresy that they're spewing that the serpent in the Garden of Eden first was. This ain't nothing new. This goes right back to, has God really said? The first thing the devil does is calls God's word into question. Instead, what does Peter say? We have the word of the prophets made even more certain through the majestic event of the transfiguration of which Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus, excuse me, of which is just a foretaste of that power and the glory that we're all going to see when Jesus comes a second time. And it's interesting, as I mentioned last week, even that great event of the transfiguration. Listen, let, let me, let's slow down. Let's think about this for a minute. Imagine seeing Jesus' face shining like the sun. And right in front of you. Let's his, seeing his clothes white like lightning. Now, if left to our own, what in the world does that mean? Now, we would come up with all kinds of crazy interpretations. With, so that's why God gave his own interpretation. The voice from heaven said, this is what I want you to get out of this, by the way, Peter, James, and John, and then all those who hear about it. This is my son, whom, in whom I am well pleased. What's the message? The message is Jesus is the one. There is no other. He's the one God sent. He's God in the flesh. Come save us from our sins in his first coming. And then judge the world in righteousness in his second coming. And what Peter is saying is that just confirms what the prophets have, have already said and already spoken. Therefore, what, what does he say? He told us last week, we noticed he said, remember these things. And then he exhorted us to do something else. That was the second point of last week's message. Pay attention. 
to the word of the prophets made more sure. And that's, it's as a light shining in a dark place. And we only had time to, be, to really get into that a little bit last week. So that's where we're going to hit the ground running this week. So the second thing we're going to see from the text, we saw remember last week. You can go back and listen to that message. But this week we're going to start with pay attention. Look at verse 19. Pay attention. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, I was looking forward to maybe digging a little bit into chapter 2 this week, and then this verse came. And this verse is chock full of insight and encouragement. And it got me all excited. What Peter is saying is you would do well to pay attention to the word of the prophets as, as to a light shining in a dark place. Now listen, I began to expound this last Sunday. Far from being antiquated, outdated words from dark ages, the prophets' words are actually a beacon of truth, of sane thinking in a world that's gone crazy, that's gone mad. It's the, the words of the prophets are the words of clarity in a world, listen, that is submerged in utter darkness. That's how the scriptures describes this world. It's this dark world. Look it up in Ephesians chapter 6. And in this dark world, we have a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in the Old Testament scripture. Psalm 119, 105. And in particular, this is true here uh, concerning the first five books of Moses and in particular. Ultimately, they are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Why? Because they speak of the light of the world, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what he, when he came, what did he say? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but instead will walk in the light of life. Brothers and sisters, that's the Old Testament message is, look at him. He's coming. The New Testament message is, he's come. And he's coming again. You know, it's interesting. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> Most of us know the passage I'm going to refer to, and I'm going to ask you to turn to it if you would like at your leisure. Luke 24. I love this story. It's one of the best true stories that I've ever read in my life. And it's when after Jesus died, he rose again, and you have two disciples, I believe there's two of them, walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden Jesus kept them from recognizing who he was, and he just kind of walks up to them, and he says, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? What's, been, what's going on? And they were like, what are you, some kind of stranger here? And they're all depressed. Didn't you hear what happened? There was this man, Jesus, from Nazareth. He did all kinds of wonders and miracles, and we thought he was going to be the one, but they put him to death on a cross. Jesus responded to the two of them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart, notice this, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, that is the Messiah in Hebrew, Christ is just the Greek of the Hebrew Messiah, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with who? Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
preach it, Jesus. Right? And here's the mind-blowing thing. The Old Testament Scriptures are now Christian Scriptures. They belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And all of the Old Testament speaks of Jesus, whether it's the law that shows us our desperate need for Jesus, whether it's the temple and the priesthood and sacrifices that typify the work of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, His sacrifice for our sins, whether it's the prophets who foretold not only Jesus' first coming, but His second coming in power and in glory to judge the living and the dead. Whether they mention Him as the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world or the Lion who ushers in perfect justice and righteousness. The Old Testament is not second class Scripture. And Peter's no hypocrite. That's what I love about this. Because in refuting the scoffers and the mockers of his day, in chapter two, chapters 2 and 3, he expounds the book of Genesis, which speaks of what? The great flood, the judgment of the great flood on those who did not repent and believe. And then he expounds about the righteous judgment that God poured out on what? Sodom and Gomorrah. When they lived in wickedness and did not turn from their wicked ways. It's interesting, Peter goes to Genesis. His fellow apostle Paul, uh, Peter's fellow apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 15.4, another one of my favorite passages on this subject. For everything that was written in the past, i.e. the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope and this is just as true as it relates to the scriptures concerning Jesus' second coming when he will judge the world in righteousness and usher in his eternal kingdom where righteousness rules brothers and sisters that's where Jesus has taken us that's the end game. The end game is the new heavens the new, and the new earth where there'll be no more sin, no more wickedness. Listen, I used to talk about we won't have to lock our car doors anymore. But here's another thing. No more passwords on the computer. Doesn't that drive you nuts? I've forgotten more passwords than I remember. And why do we need passwords? Because we live in a dark, wicked world. That's why. And of course, more seriously, no more death, no more dying. The C word we won't ever have to hear again. Praise the Lord. Can I get a hallelujah? How does this give us hope? The, the, the judgment that's coming that Jesus is bringing when he comes a second time. Because, brothers and sisters, it means that evildoers will not always get away with it. Like they seem to do sometimes here. Like, you know those, talking about online hackers? It kills me that they don't get caught. Because they shut things down that literally ends up, can physically kill people when they mess with certain things. And, and, and they're cowards, they're hidden. And you wonder, will justice ever be served? And according to the Bible, yes. It's coming. If they do not repent and turn from their wicked ways and trust in Jesus, 
It's coming. And it means that a new world's coming where goodness, love, purity, joy, and unbroken fellowship. I'm so tired of relationships having to fight through. Uh, hey, how so? Oh, I don't know. I don't talk to him anymore. You're like, but you were. But, but, but. That's the side of glory, isn't it? Hot and cold, on and off. Not heaven. And I'm not talking about just floating on the clouds. I'm talking about a new earth. <laughs> Wrap your mind around that. No more abusers who refuse to repent no matter how many chances they're given. You know, that's just it. There are people that no matter how many times, how many chances, they still continue to hurt themselves and others. No more crooked politicians. Come on, let's hear, we can hear some clapping there who serve their own bellies to the neglect of the people they promised to serve. And no more, more false teachers who are the blind leading the blind into the same pit they're falling into. Here's the real mind blower. Stick with, going, keeping with Romans 15 for a second. In the very next verse of Romans 15, after he just says that the Old Testament uh, scriptures are there to give us endurance and encouragement, he says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Now that's interesting. I'll tell you why that's interesting. How does God give you endurance so that you, you make it to the end? How does, how does God give you encouragement so you get up in the morning and you don't just say, I'm done? According to this passage, it's through the Old Testament scriptures. Wow. You're not going to hear this from Kim alive. You ain't going to get this from Oprah. Just saying. You're only going to get it in the Old Testament. And the New. But usually people are more, they diss the old a little more in our circles. So Peter writes, you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now that's another intriguing verse, isn't it? It's like I just get one intriguing verse to the next. He's saying in effect, pay attention to it because it's the only light in a dark place until the day dawns. Now, when is that? When will the day dawn? Obviously, what Peter is referring to is when Jesus comes again to usher in his full kingdom of light. That's the day that will dawn and the day we're all waiting for. The last event in God's great plan of redemption, right? Creation, fall, redemption. And I've seen people forget this last one, and that's where it's all coming. The consummation of all things. Glory. In other words, let me put it this way. He's saying you're going to need the light of the Old Testament scriptures until Jesus comes back. So get used to it and be very conversant with them. That's what he's saying. Because then and only then, and this is going to get crazy. Check this out. Only then and then will the morning star, a reference to Jesus, rise in our hearts. Now, what does that mean? I told you this is some pretty incredible stuff. What it means is this. Only then, when Jesus comes, 
will our inward illumination match the outward illumination of the prophets? In other words, yeah, we still get a glimpse, we get some understanding, but it's not until Jesus comes again that the lights are fully turned on. It goes from a candle to this gigantic illumination of the risen Son of God. Can I get a hallelujah? Now, if you think that's a crazy interpretation, let me just give you another cross-reference. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Now listen, in those days, they didn't have the nice mirrors we have, where we get to see everything. Back in the day that Paul wrote this, it was like a real rough, almost like looking into a piece of metal. And so he says, Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know, listen, I don't care what kind of stinking doctor you are of theology. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Well, there's some truth in that, but actually, when that day comes... We'll know a lot more than we knew now how much it cost him to purchase our salvation. See, salvation don't seem like a real big thing right now, but when, when the books are open and you're standing in front of the judge of the universe and he's calling out names, guess what? You're going to know then. <laughs> you're going to know that, brothers and sisters. It's an old poem by Robert Murray McChain. He died in his 30s. He was an on-fire minister of the gospel. And God gave him some incredible wisdom for his age. And he wrote this. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking over life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And when I hear the wicked call, listen, this is powerful stuff, on the rocks and hills to fall. When I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And he's got a bunch of other verses, but I got one more stanza that I got. I, I, I couldn't help but quote this one too. Even on earth as though a glass, darkly let thy glory pass. Make forgiveness feel so sweet. Make thy spirit's help so meet. Even on earth, Lord, make me know something of how much I owe. And isn't that the point? No, we don't know fully then, but what Peter wants us to know is what we can know here and now. And how can we be reminded of how much we owe, how much God loves us, what it cost Him to save us from the destruction that we were bringing on our own heads? The words of the prophets. That's the light. Run to it. I think of a picture in my mind when I hear this of a big bonfire in an icy cold 60 below with wind chill area and everybody's gathered around that fire warming themselves. Giving, drinking in the light and the heat. See, here's the issue. The Lord has graciously given us 66 books, not just 27. That's 27 in the New Testament, so, you know, 39 in the Old. 
And believe me, brothers and sisters, we're going to need their light, the light that they throw on our way, desperately, as long as we're on this dark planet. Remember the apostolic testimony to Christ. Pay attention to the word of the prophets made more sure. And last of all, understand. And what are we to understand? Peter wants us to understand a very important thing. The true nature of biblical prophecy. Look with me at verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For the for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, we read above all, but the Greek literally reads, know this first. It's kind of like saying, you don't want to miss this one. This is a keeper. This one you got, you got to really pay attention to. You got to understand this. So what Peter's doing here, this is really interesting to me. He's flagging his own words. You, anybody here have Gmail? Well, you ever get these, these emails in and they'll flag it for you? And they'll write, we just flagged this because we thought it might be important. And it's like, you're totally going in the blind, right? And usually I'm like, why are you flagging this? Stop annoying me. But here we have the author himself. He's not going, he's not running blind. And he's saying, you're going to want to flag this. You know, people, some people use those, those horrible highlighters. My wife loves, I don't like them, they bother me. But I, I like pencils, but even I go under, that has nothing to do with anything. But here, Peter's doing it himself. Because he wants us to pay attention. And what does he highlight? The fact that no prophecy of Scripture came about out of the prophet's own head. It didn't originate in the prophet's own will or his own purpose, but rather men spoke from God, God himself, as they were carried along, listen, by the third person in the Holy Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit. This answers the second big objection we often hear leveled against the Bible. It's just the words of men. Ever hear that one? Come on now. And why is this one of the most overused and often repeated objections to the Bible? Because listen, if it's just the words of men, then we don't have to listen, do we? Then they would carry no weight of authority and they would be just more words of men vying for a place in our lives among the words of other men. Nothing special. Peter is reminding us that we do have the true word of God in the Old Testament scriptures. Men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek expression here, which is really neat for the word that we have, the words in English, carried along, connotes the idea of a sailboat being carried along by the wind in the right direction. So what the Bible is saying here is that we have the true word of God in the scriptures. Because men of God were carried along. In other words, God said exactly what he wanted to say through these men. The Holy Spirit wrote through them, spoke through them. So let me say this, as I'm coming to a little bit of a close here. My wife would say, land the plane. Well, I want to say this. We don't, strictly speaking, Peter and I and other pastors... We don't interpret the Bible. I want you to understand that. 
The Bible, including the Old Testament, is God's interpretation of reality. The divine truth concerning the way it is. That's, that's what our job as preachers is. Our job is not to give you our own novel ideas or groundbreaking insights into the text, but rather we're to do the hard work of observing what God has already spoken in His Word by studying the words, keeping it in its proper context, and explaining it plainly to God's people. We don't come up with the message. We simply bring it to God's people. Now that's why we take the time to painstakingly go through book by book of Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, the epistles, and so on. The Gospels. Because we want you to hear God's voice. God forbid you hear ours. Because literally, I got nothing for you if I don't have the word. So, for instance, I use this as an example so you maybe get a handle on this. We preach through the whole book of Genesis. Why do we do that? Because it gives the foundation for the Christian faith. Moses, the prophet of God, spoke as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Genesis ultimately isn't Moses' words, it's the word of the Lord. And so when we preach, we strive to capture what, we, what has been called the melodic line, the theme, the purpose of the text. So that what you're getting is the pure, unadulterated word of God. We're not twisting it to make our own point. How often we see that. And it's a light and a dark place for us to pay careful attention to. Now listen. No one has the right to reinterpret the meaning of marriage, for instance. God has already interpreted it for us in the Old Testament prophet Moses in the book of Genesis. God has already told us what marriage is, who instituted it, and what the purpose of it is. That's just an example. We're not at liberty to reinterpret how God created the world, how man ruined it, and how God intends to redeem it. It's already all there. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Brothers and sisters, if you get anything out of this message this morning, go to the Old Testament, see Jesus there, and let God use his word to give you the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures that all point to Jesus. Chapter 2 is all about, but there were false teachers among the people. He's emphasizing this because you're going to see as Pete gets into next week, not everybody's giving you this message. They're giving you quite another. Listen to this word. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you through the Holy Spirit have spoken through the prophets. And that, Father, you gave us this word so that we would, through the encouragement and the endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. And our hope is in that promise, that's, that, that promised coming of Jesus the second time to deal with sin once and for all 
and not just completely eradicated out of our own lives, but of the new world you're building and that you're ushering in. So be with us to this end, Lord. May we more and more immerse ourselves in that word that our lives might bear more and more fruit as we trust the one to whom all those scriptures point. It's in Jesus' name we, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.